Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm going to be your host, Jordana Osby. I'm here with my friend, Chavruta Aaron Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Ketubot, daf Ayin Gimel, page 73. So I'm actually going to start right at the bottom of uh, Ayin Bet. And the Gemara here brings a machlokas between Rub and Shual on how to exactly understand uh, our Mishnah, right? So the Mishnah, uh, you know, they say the following, Itvar. Right. So let's say he, you know, a man betrothes a woman, right? They do a rusin, just that first part of the marriage. Um, and it was al tanai, right? The tanai being the condition being that she had no vows uh, that were on her. And then he marries her sort of without any, uh, without any specification. In other words, when he did the erusin, he asked specifically about, you know, whether or not uh, she had any Nidharim, right? Was told she didn't. But then when he did the, you know, finish the second part of the marriage, he didn't ask anything about it. And then he finds out afterwards that she actually did have Nidharim. So it's basically a question of, you know, um, you know, sort of what what's the in-between status? It's sort of like the Tanai was made very clear for the first part of the marriage but was not made clear for the second part of the marriage ceremony. So Rav says she does need a get because it still was actually a, a valid marriage. She would not collect her ketubah, but that, but even though the Erusim was with the Tanai, but because he entered the Nisuin just down without a Tanai, they're fully married and uh, she would get, she would get her get. Okay. Ushmu um, Amar, um, but Shmuel says no, she would not need a get because Shmuel basically saying that that a Rusin was never valid. The first half of the marriage was not valid because it was Al Tanai, and then later that Tanai was found out to not be real. Okay, Amar Abai. So Abai says, La Tama Taime Derav, Kevin Shankinsastam, Achule Achle Litanaihu. Right? So he says, so Abai says the following. Don't say that Rub's reasoning for requiring this get is that since he married her without, you know, without specification, he married her Shekansastam, right? Then that means that he waived his right to the Tanai. In other words, that's how you might interpret Rub's opinion. And by saying that's not Rub's reason. Ella Tamadurav, what's the reason for Rub? No, Rub's reasoning is that a person doesn't intentionally engage and be let's nude and you know like uh you know just to have sex just to have sex sort of you know like like they're not uh what's a good how would you explain snoots i'm not coming up with a good word we usually we say promiscuity i don't know that's really that's the word i'm looking for so in other words what he's saying is is that if someone could be aware that there was a possibility that the erusin could be annulled right it could be nullified then entering into the second half of the marriage and consummating that marriage, if you knew that it could be nullified, then that's sort of like acting promiscuously because you know that maybe then it would be considered that you weren't, you know, married. So when he marries her, he does it with the intention of basically consummating this marriage, right? And it's like, and it's sort of backtracking and almost in a way saying that that original Averson was not out tonight, right? Um, but he doesn't fully waive that condition, obviously, because once that tonight, it becomes clear that tonight was not fulfilled, you know, 
she gets divorced without the ketubah. But it's interesting, this distinction that Abaye is trying to make. So then the Gemara says, okay, but didn't they already disagree about this? And so now they bring a different case. So here's the, the case that they have here. Let's say you have a minor girl, right? Whose mother or brother marries her off and she didn't refuse her husband. Remember, we learned about this in Yavamos that the minor girl can be, you know, set up into marriage. But when she gets old enough to actually get married, she's allowed to refuse that husband, okay? Um, and she, so in this case, she didn't refuse her husband. And then when she becomes an adult later on, in other words, she, at the time period where she could have refused the husband, she didn't. Then she becomes adult and she gets up and she marries somebody else. So she never like outright said, I refuse this husband. So Rav says she doesn't need a get from the second one because even though, because she didn't refuse her first husband while she was a minor, right? And the assumption is, is that the, you know, the assumption is that maybe she had a sexual relationship with him when she became an adult, right? He wouldn't intentionally do that if he thought that she would have, you know, annulled the marriage or married somebody else. Sorry, that's what they, she wouldn't have done if he thought somebody would have, you know, she would have married somebody else. So therefore, the first marriage is really binding and it's the second one that's not binding. So that's why she doesn't need to get because it's like, she didn't marry the second one. There's no, there's no marriage, right? Like she was, you know, given over to somebody as a minor, um, right? Presumably they, that marriage was consummated at some point. She never refused him. He obviously went into that thinking that she wanted to stay fully married. So when she marries, quote unquote, somebody else as a second, you know, in, as a second marriage, Rev says that's no marriage because the first one, you know, it still holds. And exactly it's for the same line of reasoning that Abai mentions in the previous case, where Shmuel says, no, she does actually need a get. Because again, if her first husband didn't, you know, her first was husband uh, did not engage in consummating with that, right? With the, or when he does, it's sort of an intention to serve as like, that's really the betrothal, right? Um, you know, so therefore he, he didn't really consider it. She's not, it's not binding at that point. And so then the second marriage would actually be binding. Um, let me explain that one more time. What Shmuel's saying is, is the following, is that her first husband didn't consummate the marriage with her, right? He basically, you know, he intended to continue this relationship, right? While she was a minor, right? He, he basically says he's going to wait it out. So she's not considered yet to actually have been his wife, okay? And therefore, the second marriage is actually binding because in other words, it, like they sort of didn't actually like get into the marriage state itself. And so therefore she would need to get from the second marriage. I don't, Shmuel's reasoning is a little bit difficult for me to understand, but that that's kind of what, that's basically what he's saying there. And so then the Gemara goes on. Now the Gemara needs to do his typical thing, which is it needs to explain why do you need both of these cases? And so they're going to go through that. I'm not going to go through it. In other words, why do they need both? You know, which is what they often do. That in other words, if you have a machlokas that seems to carry over to two cases, the Gemara needs to explain why do you need both cases? And then on Amud Bet, they're going to start to bring up different proofs to prove 
both of their, you know, both of the ways that they think of it. But it's a very, very interesting machloket between Rav and Shmuel, right? The idea is, you know, basically the idea is, is that if there's anything with a two-step process, right, either a Rusin to, to Nisuin with a Tanai in there, or a minor girl where at some point she could have refused, or she goes into full marriage, what impact does that have on the validity of the marriage itself and whether or not you would need a get? Um, and it's, uh, I think it's highlighting what some of the issues are when marriage is broken into a variety of steps. Like, it's not I like, think oh, that... you have a marriage ceremony, you're done. <laughs> right. I think that also those steps, like when we break it down into steps, is where we end up with what I guess is kind of the theme or the overarching approach of the staff, the, the discussion of, you know, at what point is that marriage a marriage? And at right. what point is it not yet a marriage? And if it's not yet a marriage, you don't need a divorce because right. it was never anything. And if it is, you know, already to the point that you would need a divorce, then right, that that's the, I don't know if it's, I feel it's like, I know you said steps. I'm thinking like the the sliding sidewalks in the airports, right? Where like you move along and you move along and eventually yeah, I, you, know, I you think come what to the end. Is, yeah, I, I, I like how you're saying it a little better, right? Like it's basically saying at what point is it considered to be a full marriage and you would need a get. And so this is the what's happening also on Ahmedbet, which if I may take over, we have here specific cases where it looks very clear it seems very clear that the woman does not need to get. It begins here in the case of, um, well, I'll read it. Tanan. So what happens? We have, and this goes back to what you were talking about, your Dana, about Nidarim, right? Somebody who takes vows, right? So we have here, it goes back to the Mishnah also from yesterday, that if somebody marries a woman, right? Stam, there's no specification. There's no concern. I won't marry you unless, right? Or if this happens. But then later it was discovered, in fact, that she had taken vows and therefore had to fulfill them, right? Meaning it's like a, a lean on her, whether it's on her property or on her behavior, whatever it is. It's something that ties her in ways that predate the marriage. So now, um, so it's discovered that she's got vows. And then it, the, the Gemara says, Titsei Shalom B'Ktubah, or rather it's a citation from the Mishnah, right? That she could go, she can be divorced without getting her Ktubah. Why? Why is, would she not get the Ktubah? Because the presumption is that she shouldn't, like the the given was that she wouldn't have had vows. And so then when he marries her, he's coming with the presumption that she won't have any vows that she must fulfill. And then when he discovers them, he can say, I don't want this. This is not the conditions that I was agreeing to when I, you know, agreed to get married. Ktubahu dolobaya hagita baya. So the Gemara says, well, if she could be divorced without getting a, her ktuba, the Gemara says, hang on. She shouldn't, she's not getting her ketubah. She shouldn't need a bill of divorce at all, right? Because if if this is terms that were never something he would have agreed to, then you don't call that a marriage. My love, and the Gemara says, Kid you shall tonight, Vakansa Stam, to you to the Shmuel. This goes back to Shmuel's opinion, meaning we actually have here a refutation of Shmuel's opinion, because the idea here is that the can that he was inherently betrothing her at the time that they got betrothed on condition. And then since he marries her without that specification, so the marriage was never a marriage because it's the the condition was never fulfilled. The full, 
not fulfilled, was never, she's doing something that broke the condition, right? The condition being that she not be a vowing wife, whatever that really means. And the Gemara says, no, lo, ki chestam, chestam. No, in this case, it's really that he betrothed her without a specification. He married her without a specification. And then at the end of the day, so they, she does, they do need a divorce, right? And she won't get her ketubah. But the Gemara has to kind of really plug it through to figure out why it is that in this case she would need a divorce. What happens if you had an, you know, a scenario where the betrothal took place, Altenai, it's a condition. And then, in fact, they do get married and there's no specification, right? You know, as was suggested about the case above. So then, in that case, you should say she doesn't need a bill of divorce at all, right? Meaning because she shouldn't need a divorce because she was the the condition of the betrothal was never fulfilled. So how can that be the marriage from that betrothal? Specifically, this example, right? But flesh it out so that he's betrothed her on condition that she not have any nidarim tying her down. And lo and behold, it's discovered that she had nidarim tying her down. Then that kiddushin never took effect. And then if she never took effect, if the, if the betrothal never took effect, then certainly the wedding never took effect. And therefore, there should be no no need for divorce. So the Gemara goes on to say, well, let's say that let the let's let's hypothesize that the mission was really talking about a case where they get married with no specification. Then they discover, in fact, that there are vows that are incumbent upon her, right? And so, therefore, she would not have been betrothed, right? It, like it kind of undoes the betrothal retroactively. And then we say all the more so, right, that in this case where he betrothed her conditionally, but then didn't repeat the condition when mar- when getting married, you don't have to repeat the-, the position here is, you don't have to repeat the condition when it was a condition of the betrothal. Just because the marriage itself doesn't include the condition doesn't mean everybody forgot about it. It means that it was in place. And if it was in place, then it has to have been met in you know through the time of betrothal and marriage. So the Gemara answers, really, this is what he's saying, or this is also what he's saying. So again, he says, I'll marry you without vows. Turns out she's got vows. And she's not. There's no betrothal. Kichastam, bekansastam. If 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 the betrothal has no specification, the marriage has no specification. Then it then you discover that lo and behold, she has these vows. So then, she's they're going to get divorced. Meaning, there's nobody saying they have to stay married because it wasn't specified enough early on. Then again, he betrothed. Then she still has to um, go out of the marriage without receiving her ketubah. So I still have this question, like, why wouldn't she get the ketubah in the case of no specification at all? Because it seems that um, I understand why they would get divorced, but I don't understand what she's done wrong, given that he had no specification to begin with. Um, Okay, let's go on with the Gemara. In any case, I'm going to leave that as a hanging question. Also, we haven't read all of the details of the stuff here, right? Meaning... I hope you're all preparing it. I've prepared it. You're Dana, you've prepared it. But it's a little bit, sometimes a little bit different when we go through it and these questions pop up. 
Ketuba hu the low bias. So the Gemara says, okay, let's read this according to Shmuel. Shmuel, as you're doing, as you've outlined his position, right? So the Mishnah says she doesn't um, get the Ketuba. Hagita by it, but that she does. We, if you say she is not getting her ketuba, then you understand that she is getting divorced. She is getting a get. So the Gemara says again, or what we've been talking about, that if if the if he had said, I will have nothing to do with a vowing wife. So therefore, therefore, it's like they never got married, right? Because that was part of his conditions to begin with. If you say that she doesn't need that, that he won't stay married to her because she never fulfilled the the condition of not being a vowing wife, well, then she shouldn't need a divorce, right? Meaning he was very clear about this, and then we want to say that the betrothal would be what we call a mekach taut, right? That it's something that was just a mistaken, a mistaken transaction. That the whole the whole thing of it was on false pretenses or or mistakenly false pretenses, and it doesn't go through. And this is the, then we get to the next line of the Gemara, which I find to be really a very fascinating and perhaps disturbing line. Amaraba tzricha get midivrehem. She needs a get from Drabanan, from the level of of the rabbinic um, law as compared to Torah law. Meaning by Torah law, the betrothal was canceled. They, right? It was just nothing. It ended up being nothing because the condition was not met. So, then the question is, why is it that Chazal are saying that even though he didn't stipulate that, if, if, even if it's not stated, she needs a, a get? And the answer seems to be, well, there's a level of obligation that's a rabbinic level, and she's going to need the get at that point. And I say, but one second, from the Torah perspective, she's gone free. What are we doing? Why is anybody giving her a get at this level, at a rabbinic level, doesn't that change her entire status? Meaning once she's divorced, she's divorced. Even if the reason she's coming to be divorced is rabbinic and not Torah, why would anybody do that to anybody? Amar of Chista, I'm just going to finish the little passage here. Amar of Chista, Tzricha, get me divrehem. Rav Chista also says she needs a divorce from divrehem, from the rabbinic um, injunction. Rav Amar, Tanas, Puke, Mesafkala. Rav gives a different explanation. He says that the reason that she needs a get in this case is because there was some question about the betrothal, meaning there are certain times when you would be here. It says, Gabe Mamona Lukula, that when you're dealing with property matters, sometimes you are um, more lenient. Gabe Isura And sometimes when you're dealing with prohibitions, and we're talking about a possible prohibition of adultery, right? If she's married, and then meaning if there is a marriage in place, and then they go their separate ways because we've said, oh, she doesn't need it, well, then we're worried about. Again, we're worried about adultery. We're worried about mamzerim. All the usual things that we're worried about when somebody might have been married, and we have, want to be careful about it. So Rava's explanation here as to why she needs a get, I understand. Meaning the idea that you got to be stringent because the possible ramifications of letting her go free when she wasn't really free—that's a big deal. But these other people, Rab, Rab and Rav Chista, when they say that when, that her divorce needs to be rabbinic, but the it means that you're putting a rabbinic um, a rabbinic prohibition against her when the Torah level would have been leaving her free to marry whoever she wants. Your Danis, you said this very well in preparation. How what was your wording? I, I think what's really interesting here, I, I mean, it's actually kind of shocking to require a get. 
because you're taking sort of a rabbinic question, right? This is a right. This is a Durabunan level. It's, it's rabbinic, and the solution the rabbis come up with is, oh, we'll impose this very severe Durabunan solution, right? Like our solution is she has to get a get, and it's not a little deal for her to now be a, a divorcee, right? She can't marry Cohen. I, I, I mean, there's you know, a bunch of different things to think about what it means for her to get her get. So I'm puzzled that this is where they go. Because it doesn't seem like usually it's I, I, I always look at like, if they say you don't need to get that's really the that's the make out. That's the way of sort of letting everybody get out of something. And here to be like, she needs a get it, it, it seems very harsh to me. It seems very harsh to me, meaning it seems like Let's put it, let's track through the ramifications, right? If she's divorced, she can't marry Cohen. If she's divorced, I mean, like, there's there's all these things that, depending if she had been a black Cohen, depending if, she, you know, if she had been married to a Cohen, right? All of those Cohen things kick in for divorcee, right? Meaning to prevent a Cohen marrying a divorcee. What happens if, now, if she needed, Rabbi says, and you want to prevent her children from becoming, God forbid, Mumzerim? that but the, you know if she marries again right is her ketubah worth 200 zoos or 100 zoos but if she wasn't married the first time then it should just be 200 zoos like there's all these things that i'm not saying that there's so much difference between somebody who is single never married and somebody who is divorced but there are some things in halacha that are different and i don't understand why the injunction of divorce would be placed upon somebody who has the possibility of going free, who has the possibility of being treated as never married again, except yeah. for when you've got a concern that it was, that she was actually married. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's, it's interesting. I, and I, I'm not quite sure, you know, why this is how they side in this particular case with needing a get. Well, or by the question. way, I'll just, I just want to say, I think that, I think that the Amorayim are not quite sure about it either. Right, they're trying to answer why fair. the Mishnah says this. Right, I think the Amorayim struggle with it as well. I think that's fair. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the stuff on our Talking Time and Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.